Chapter 14 of Talks to Farmers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lauren Randall. Talks to Farmers by Charles H. Spurgeon. The Joy of Harvest. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 3. The other day I kept the feast with a company who shouted, Harvest, home. I was glad to see the rich and poor rejoicing together. And when the cheerful meal was ended, I was glad to turn one of the tables into a pulpit, and in the large barn to preach the gospel of the ever-blessed God to an earnest audience. My heart was merry in harmony with the occasion, and I shall now keep in the same key and talk to you a little upon the joy of harvest. Londoners forget that it is harvest time. Living in this great desert of dingy bricks, we hardly know what a wheat ear is like, except as we see it dry and white in the window of a corn dealer's shop. Yet let us all remember that there is such a season as harvest, when by God's goodness the fruits of the earth are gathered in. What is the joy of harvest which is here taken as the simile of the joy of the saints before God? I am afraid that to the mere selfish order of spirits, the joy of harvest is simply that of personal gratification at the increase of wealth. Sometimes the farmer only rejoices because he sees the reward of his toils, and is so much the richer man. I hope that with many there mingles the second cause of joy, namely gratitude to God, that an abundant harvest will give bread to the poor and remove complaining from our streets. There is a lawful joy in harvest, no doubt, to the man who is enriched by it. For any man who works hard has a right to rejoice when at last he gains his desire. It would be well if men would always recollect that their last and greatest harvest will be to them according to their labor. He that soweth to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, and only the man that soweth to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Many a young man commences life by sowing what he calls his wild oats, which he had better never have sown, for they will bring him a terrible harvest. He expects that from these wild oats he will gather a harvest of true pleasure. But it cannot be. The truest pleasures of life spring from the good seed of righteousness, and not from the hemlock of sin. As a man who sows thistles in his furrows must not expect to reap the golden wheat sheaf, so he who follows the ways of vice must not expect happiness. On the contrary, if he sows the wind, he will reap the whirlwind. When a sinner feels the pangs of conscience, he may well say, This is what I sowed. When he shall at last receive the punishment of his evil deeds, he will blame no one but himself. He sowed tares, and he must reap tares. On the other hand, the Christian man, though his salvation is not of works, but of grace, will have a gracious reward given to him by his master. Sowing in tears, he shall reap in joy. Putting out his talents to interest, he shall enter into his master's joy, and hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. The joy of harvest in part consists of the reward of labor. May such be our joy in serving the Lord. The joy of harvest has another element in it, namely that of gratitude to God for favors bestowed. We are singularly dependent on God, 
far more so than most of us imagine. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they went forth every morning and gathered the manna. Our manna does not come to us every morning, but it comes once a year. It is as much a heavenly supply as if it lay like a hoarfrost round about the camp. If we went out into the field and gathered food which dropped from the clouds, we should think it a great miracle. And is it not as great a marvel that our bread should come up from the earth as that it should come down from the sky? The same God who bade the heavens drop with angels' food bids the dull earth in its due season yield corn for mankind. Therefore, whenever we find that harvest comes, let us be grateful to God, and let us not suffer the season to pass over without psalms of thanksgiving. I believe I shall be correct if I say that there is never in the world, as a rule, more than sixteen months' supply of food. That is to say, when the harvest is gathered in, there may be sixteen months' supply, but at the time of harvest there is not usually enough wheat in the whole world to last the population more than four or five months, so that if the harvest did not come, we should be on the verge of famine. We live still from hand to mouth. Let us pause and bless God, and let the joy of harvest be the joy of gratitude." To the Christian, it should be great joy, by means of the harvest, to receive an assurance of God's faithfulness. The Lord has promised that seed time and harvest, summer and winter, shall never cease. And when you see the loaded wain carrying in the crop, you may say to yourself, God is true to his promise. Despite the dreary winter and the damp spring, autumn has come with its golden grain. Depend upon it that as the Lord keeps this promise, he will keep all the rest. All his promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. If he keeps his covenant to the earth, much more will he keep his covenant with his own people, whom he hath loved with an everlasting love. Go, Christian, to the mercy seat with a promise on your lip, and plead it. Be assured it is not a dead letter. Let not unbelief cause you to stammer when you mention the promise before the throne, but say it boldly. Fulfill this word unto thy servant, on which thou hast caused me to hope. Shame upon us that we so little believe our God. The world is full of proofs of his goodness. Every rising sun, every falling shower, every revolving season certifies his faithfulness. Wherefore do we doubt him? If we never doubt him till we have cause for it, we shall never know distrust again. Encouraged by the return of harvest, let us resolve in the strength of the Spirit of God that we will not waver, but will believe in the divine word and rejoice in it. Once more, to the Christian, in the joy of harvest there will always be the joy of expectation, as there is a harvest to the husbandman for which he waiteth patiently. So there is a harvest for all faithful waiters, who are looking for the coming and the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The mature Christian, like the ripe ear of corn, hangs down his head with holy humility. When he was but green in the things of God, he stood erect and was somewhat boastful. But now that he has become full of the blessing of the Lord, he is humbled thereby and bows himself down. He is waiting for the sickle and he dreads it not. For no common reaper shall come to gather Christ's people. He himself shall reap the harvest of the world. The Lord leaves the destroying angel to reap the vintage and to cast it into the wine vat to be trodden with vengeance. 
But as for the grain which he himself has sown, he will gather it himself with his own golden sickle. We are looking for this. We are growing among the tares, and sometimes we are half afraid lest the tares should be stronger than ourselves and choke the wheat. But we shall be separated by and by. And when the corn is well winnowed and stored in the garner, we shall be there. It is this expectation which even now makes our hearts throb with joy. We have gone to the grave with precious sheaves that belong to our master. And when we were there, we thought we could almost say, Lord, if they sleep, they shall do well. Let us die with them. Our joy of harvest is the hope of being at rest with all the saints and forever with the Lord. A view of these shadowy harvests upon earth should make us exceedingly glad, because they are the image and foreshadowing of the eternal harvest above. So much about the joy of harvest, but I hasten onward. What joys are those which to the believer are as the joy of harvest? It is a common notion that Christians are an unhappy people. It is true that we are tried, but it is false that we are miserable. With all their trials, believers have such a compensation in the love of Christ that they are still a blessed generation, and it may be said of them, Happy art thou, O Israel. One of the first seasons in which we knew a joy equal to the joy of harvest, a season which has continued with us ever since it commenced, was when we found the Savior, and so obtained salvation. You recollect for yourselves, brethren and sisters, the time of the plowing of your souls. My heart was fallow and covered with weeds, but on a certain day the great husbandman came and began to plow my soul. Ten black horses were his team, and it was a sharp plowshare that he used, and the plowers made deep furrows. The Ten Commandments were those black horses, and the justice of God, like a plowshare, tore my spirit. I was condemned, undone, destroyed, lost, helpless, hopeless. I thought hell was before me. Then there came a cross plowing, for when I went to hear the gospel, it did not comfort me. It made me wish I had a part in it, but I feared that such a boon was out of the question. The choicest promises of God frowned at me, and his threatenings thundered at me. I prayed, but found no answer of peace. It was long with me thus. After the plowing came the sowing. God who plowed the heart made it conscious that it needed the gospel, and the gospel seed was joyfully received. Do you recollect that auspicious day when at last you began to have some little hope? It was very little, like a green blade that peeps up from the soil. You scarce knew whether it was grass or corn, whether it was presumption or true faith. It was a little hope, but it grew very pleasantly. Alas, a frost of doubt came. Snow of fear fell. Cold winds of despondency blew on you, and you said, there can be no hope for me. But what a glorious day was that, when at last the wheat which God had sown ripened, and you could say, I have looked unto him and have been lightened. I have laid my sins on Jesus where God laid them of old, and they are taken away, and I am saved. I remember well that day, and so no doubt do many of you. Oh, sirs, no husbandman ever shouted for joy as our heart shouted when a precious Christ was ours, and we could grasp him with full assurance of salvation in him.
Many days have passed since then, but the joy of it is still fresh with us. And blessed be God, it is not the joy of the first day only that we look back upon. It is the joy of every day since then, more or less, for our joy no man taketh from us. Still, we are walking in Christ, even as we received him. Even now, all our hope on him is stayed, all our help from him we bring, and our joy and peace continue with us, because they are based upon an immovable foundation. We rejoice in the Lord, yea, and we will rejoice. The joy of harvest generally shows itself by the farmer giving a feast to his friends and neighbors, and usually those who find Christ express their joy by telling their friends and their neighbors how great things the Lord hath done for them. The grace of God is communicative. A man cannot be saved and always hold his tongue about it. As well, look for dumb choirs in heaven as for a silent church on earth. If a man has been thirsty and has come to the living stream, his first impulse will be to cry, Ho! Every one that thirsteth, do you feel the joy of harvest, the joy that makes you wish that others should share with you? If so, do not repress the impulse to proclaim your happiness. Speak of Christ to brothers and sisters, to friends and kinsfolk, and if the language be stammering, the message in itself is so important that the words in which you couch it will be a secondary consideration. Tell it, tell it out far and wide, that there is a Savior, that you have found Him, and that His blood can wash away transgression. Tell it everywhere, and so the joy of harvest shall spread o'er land and sea, and God shall be glorified. We have another joy which is like the joy of harvest. We frequently have it too. It is the joy of answered prayer. I hope you know what it is to pray in faith. Some prayer is not worth the words used in presenting it, because there is no faith mixed with it. With all thy sacrifices thou shalt offer salt, and the salt of faith is needful if we would have our sacrifices accepted. Those who are familiar with the mercy seat know that prayer is a reality, and that the doctrine of divine answers to prayer is no fiction. Sometimes God will delay to answer for wise reasons. Then his children must cry and cry and cry again. They are in the condition of the husbandman who must wait for the precious fruits of the earth. And when at last the answer to prayer comes, they are then in the husbandman's position when he receives the harvest. Remember Hannah's wail and Hannah's word? In the bitterness of her soul she cried to God, and when her child was given to her, she called it Samuel, meaning asked of God. For, said she, for this child I prayed. He was a dear child to her because he was a child of prayer. Any mercy that comes to you in answer to prayer will be your Samuel mercy, your darling mercy. You will say of it, for this mercy I prayed, and it will bring the joy of harvest to your spirit. If the Lord desires to surprise his children, he has only to answer their prayers, for the most of them would be astonished if an answer came to their petitions. I know how they speak about answers to prayer. They say, how remarkable, how wonderful, as if it were anything remarkable that God should be true and that the Most High should keep his promise. Oh, for more faith to rest upon his word, and we should have more of these harvest joys. We have another joy of harvest in ourselves when we conquer a temptation. We know what it is to get under a cloud sometimes. 
sin within us rises with a darkening force or an external adversity clouds us and we miss the plain path we were accustomed to walk in a child of god at such times will cry mightily for help for he is fearful of himself and fearful of his surroundings some of god's people have been by the week and month together exposed to the double temptation from without and from within and have cried to god in bitter anguish it has been a very hard struggle the sinful action has been painted in very fascinating colors and the siren voice of temptation has almost enchanted them but when at last they have got through the valley of the shadow of death without having slipped with their feet when after all they have not been destroyed by apollyon but have come forth again into the daylight they feel a joy unspeakable compared with which the joy of harvest is mere childish merriment those know deep joy who have felt bitter sorrow as the man feels that he is the stronger for the conflict as he feels that he has gathered experience and stronger faith from having passed through the trial he lifts up his heart and rejoices not in himself but before his god with the joy of harvest brethren beloved you know what that means again there is such a thing as the joy of harvest when we have been rendered useful the master passion of every christian is to be useful there should be a burning zeal within us for the glory of god when the man who desires to be useful has laid his plans and set about his work he begins to look out for the results but perhaps it will be weeks or years before results will come the worker is not to be blamed that there are no fruits as yet but he is to be blamed if he is content to be without fruits a preacher may preach without conversions and who shall blame him but if he be happy who shall excuse him it is ours to break our own hearts if we cannot by god's grace break other men's hearts if others will not weep for their sins it should be our constant habit to weep for them when the heart becomes earnest warm zealous god usually gives a measure of success some fifty-fold some a hundred-fold when the success comes it is the joy of harvest indeed i cannot help being egotistical enough to mention the joy i felt when first i heard that a soul had found peace through my youthful ministry i had been preaching in a village some few sabbaths with an increasing congregation but i had not heard of a conversion and i thought perhaps i am not called of god he does not mean me to preach for if he did he would give me spiritual children one sabbath my good deacon said don't be discouraged a poor woman was savingly impressed last sabbath how long do you suppose it was before i saw that woman it was just as long as it took me to reach her cottage i was eager to hear from her own lips whether it was a work of god's grace or not i always looked upon her with interest though only a poor laborer's wife till she was taken away to heaven after having lived a holy life many since then have i rejoiced over in the lord but that first seal to my ministry was peculiarly dear to me it gave me a sip of the joy of harvest if somebody had left me a fortune it would not have caused me one hundredth part of the delight i had in discovering that a soul had been led to the saviour 
I am sure Christian people who have not this joy have missed one of the choicest delights that a believer can know this side heaven. In fact, when I see souls saved, I do not envy Gabriel his throne, nor the angels their harps. It shall be our heaven to be out of heaven for a season, if we can but bring others to know the Savior, and so add fresh jewels to the Redeemer's crown. I will mention another delight, which is as the joy of harvest, and that is fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not so much a matter for speech as for experience and delight. If we try to speak of what communion with Christ is, we fail. Solomon, the wisest of men, when inspired to write of the fellowship of the church with her Lord, was compelled to write in allegories and emblems. And though to the spiritual mind the book of Canticles is always delightful, yet to the carnal mind it seems a mere love song. The natural man discerneth not the things that be of God, for they are spiritual and can only be spiritually discerned. But, oh, the bliss of knowing that Christ is yours, and of entering into nearness of communion with him, to thrust your hand into his side, and your finger into the print of the nails. These be not everyday joys, but when such near and dear communings come to us on our high days and holy days, they make our souls like the chariots of Amenadib, or, if you will, they cause us to tread the world beneath our feet, and all that earth calls good or great. Our condition matters nothing to us if Christ be with us. He is our God, our comfort, and our all, and we rejoice before him as with the joy of harvest. I have no time to enlarge further, for I want to close with one other practical word. Many of us are anxiously desiring a harvest which would bring to us an intense delight. Of late, diverse persons have communicated to me in many ways the strong emotion they feel of pity for the souls of men. Others of us have felt a mysterious impulse to pray more than we did, and to be more anxious than ever we were that Christ would save poor perishing sinners. We shall not be satisfied until there is a thorough awakening in this land. We did not raise the feeling in our own minds, and we do not desire to repress it. We do not believe it can be repressed, but others will feel the same heavenly affection and will sigh and cry to God day and night until the blessing comes. This is the sowing. This is the plowing. This is the harrowing. May it go on to harvesting. I long to hear my brethren and sisters universally saying, We are full of anguish. We are in agony till souls be saved. The cry of Rachel, Give me children or I die is the cry of your minister this day, and the longing of thousands more besides. As that desire grows in intensity, a revival is approaching. We must have spiritual children born to Christ, or our hearts will break for the longing that we have for their salvation. Oh, for more of these longings, yearnings, cravings, travailings, if we plead till the harvest of revival comes, we shall partake in the joy of it. Who will have the most joy? Those who have been the most concerned about it? You who do not pray in private, nor come out to prayer meetings, will not have the joy when the blessing comes and the church is increased. You had no share in the sowing. Therefore, you will have little share in the reaping. You who never speak to others about their souls, who take no share in Sunday school or mission work, but simply eat the fat and drink the sweet, 
you shall have none of the joy of harvest, for you do not put your hands to the work of the Lord. And who would wish that idlers should be happy? Rather, in our zeal and jealousy, we feel inclined to say, Curse ye, Meroz, curse ye bitterly the inhabitants thereof, because they came not up to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. If you come to the help of the Lord by his own divine spirit, you shall share the joy of harvest. Perhaps none will have more of that joy than those who shall have the privilege of seeing their own dear ones brought to God. Some of you have children who are a trial to you whenever you think of them. Let them be such a trial to you that they drive you to incessant prayer for them. And if the blessing comes, why should it not drop on them? If a revival comes, why should not your daughter yet be converted, and that wild boy of yours be brought in, or even your gray-headed father, who has been skeptical and unbelieving? Why should not the grace of God come to him? And oh, what a joy of harvest you will have then! What bliss will thrill through your spirit when you see those who are united to you in ties of blood, united to Christ your Lord! Pray much for them with earnest faith, and you shall yet have the joy of harvest in your own house, a shout of harvest home in your own family. Possibly, my hearer, you have not much to do with such joy, for you are yourself unsaved. Yet it is a grand thing for an unconverted person to be under a ministry that God blesses, and with a people that pray for conversions. It is a happy thing for you, young man, to have a Christian mother. It is a great boon for you, O unconverted woman, that you have a godly sister. These make us hopeful for you. While your relations are prayerful, we are hopeful for you. May the Lord Jesus be yours yet. But, oh, if you remain unbelieving, however rich a blessing comes to others, it will leave you none the better for it. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But there are some who may cry in piteous accents, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. It has been remarked that those who pass through a season of revival and remain unconverted are more hardened and unimpressed than before. I believe it to be so, and I therefore pray the Divine Spirit to come with such energy that none of you may escape His power. May you be led to pray. Pass me not, O mighty Spirit. Thou canst make the blind to see. Witnesser of Jesus' merit, speak the word of power to me, even me. Have I long in sin been sleeping, long been sliding, grieving thee? Has the world my heart been keeping? O oh, forgive and rescue me even me. Oh, for earnest, importunate prayer from all believers throughout the world. If our churches could be stirred up to incessant, vehement crying to God, so as to give him no rest till he makes Zion a praise in the earth, we might expect to see God's kingdom come and the power of Satan fall. As many of you as love Christ, I charge you by his dear name to be much in prayer. As many of you as love the church of God and desire her prosperity, I beseech you, keep not back in this time of supplication. The Lord grant that you may be led to plead till the harvest joy is granted. Do you remember one Sabbath my saying? The Lord deal so with you as you deal with his work during this next month. I feel as if it will be so with many of you, that the Lord will deal so with you as you shall deal with his church. If you scatter little, you shall have little. If you pray little, you shall have little favor. 
But if you have zeal and faith and plead much and work much for the Lord, good measure, pressed down and running over, shall the Lord return into your own bosoms. If you water others with drops, you shall receive drops in return. But if the Spirit helps you to pour out rivers of living water from your own soul, then floods of heavenly grace shall flow into your spirit. God bring in the unconverted and lead them to a simple trust in Jesus. Then shall they also know the joy of harvest. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. End of chapter 14. The Joy of Harvest.